This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. This is the first podcast of 2020. I always like the new start of the new year because uh, we can take, uh, you know, kind of a look at where we stand. And it's been a couple of weeks since I did a podcast, but nothing has changed. Stocks are still red hot after a blistering hot 2019. And it's mainly the growth stocks, once again, that are continuing to hit new highs here in 2020. Nothing seems to stop them, not even geopolitical issues, none of the economic data, not even worries so far about uh, valuations with some of these stocks. And it's the big names, the big cappers, Microsoft, Tesla's hitting new highs, Apple's added again, Alphabet busting out to new highs, MasterCard, uh, Facebook, Chipotle. I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch in there. There's all of the semiconductors are all in there hitting at least 52 week highs. Some of those aren't back to their all time highs quite yet, but still super hot in that industry. But what about value? Here we sit. I don't want to make you all depressed reading off that list, right? But is there any value out there? And what's happening with the value stocks? Remember, there was that hope of some kind of great rotation that everyone would be like, oh, valuations are too high in growth. We have to go into value now. But that's not happening. <laughs> not yet. Um, really, all the action is still in these big cap growth stocks and even big cap value, which isn't been doing poorly, but it's still lagging the growth names. So I went into my book archive that I have at home again to start off this year because when things start to get a little bit um, crazy, I guess it's kind of crazy, um, a little bit too hot on the stock market, I have to go consult some of my favorite books about what is happening. And one of the ones that I haven't consulted in numerous years, but is making sense to do so now, is this great book from 2003. So it is a bit older, but all the lessons in it and what you can learn from reading it are still really vital here. And it's called Bull, with an exclamation point at the end, Bull, A History of the Boom, 1982 to 1999. And the tagline is, what drove the breakneck market and what every investor needs to know about financial cycles. It's by Maggie Mayhar, M-A-H. AR. You can get it on Amazon still. And I'm really thinking about um, seeing if I could have her on one of the podcasts to talk more about this book after I reread it again, because a lot of the lessons she talks about in it are applicable to any of these financial cycles as she talks about. And um, that's what makes it interesting. She also has on the back cover, at least on the hard copy of this book, she has a whole chart of the market cycles from 1882 to 2003 when the book came out. And it's the S&P 500 average annual total real return from those uh, that period that's with dividends reinvested and adjusted for inflation. And that's through March 30th, 2003 is the chart. And it's really interesting to see um, how the cycles work. And you can see even in the 2000 to 2003 little part of the chart that she has right before the book came out, it's the S&P 500 was down 11.2% there. Um, 
because of the pullback and the bust that happened after the the dot-com boom and the end of that great bull run that was from 1983 to 1999, she has here. And that returned 15.7% on the S&P 500 average annual total real return. So why am I bringing up this book and why am I consulting it? Because now we have busted out of that bearish cycle that I believe went through 2013, so 2000 through 2013. And now we are in this um, bull again. And so you can learn a lot of lessons based on what happened in the prior bulls and the kind of return you got and then how they um, expand. It goes from just like a... um, market nobody's really paying much attention to, then it's just like a good market, then it becomes a bull market, then ultimately at the end, it does become too hot to handle and you do get the bubble and the bust into the bear. I'm not saying that we are at that bubble level yet, but that's why I'm busting out the book. And I took a quick glance through it because I haven't started to read it yet. Um, and a couple things did stick out and in it. One of the key themes that she has going towards the end of the bull uh, of uh, 82 to 99 is that you have to buy. And Kevin Cook and I just talked about this concept that the managers, the professional money managers have to buy stocks. And But we're even seeing a little bit of that pressure now on uh, us, the mom and pop investors, regular investors, that if you aren't in the growth stocks, you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're missing out. I get this all the time being trolled on stock twits and Twitter now that, oh, you know, if you're not in Micron, you have missed out and the Micron's uh, revenue is going to double in the next two years. And it, it very well may, but that doesn't necessarily mean the stock is going to Um, But everybody is, you know, just, oh, these big growth names are the only place to be. I just saw a a headline for um, MasterCard and Visa that some analysts are in Barron's talking about how there's still a buy here, even though... Uh, both are trading at over 30 times forward earnings now. And while they're both great companies, they do have double-digit earnings and sales growth expected for this year. Um, Still, they're a little pricey here at over the 30 times. So a lot of people still uh, jumping on the bandwagon. That's a common sign in a bull. Also, you get... A lot of uh, it's different this time, or we've entered in a new new paradigm. We saw that with the housing market leading into the housing bubble slash bust. Um, you are also saw that in the eighty two to ninety nine by nineteen ninety six, they started calling the tech companies and the internet companies that were suddenly launching the new economy. And then you got the dot-com part of it in 98, 99, and 2000. That was all new. So you start getting these new names, new areas to invest in, which is normal innovation. Um, But then everybody takes that to a new level. Again, I'm not saying we're totally there yet, but you are starting to see some of that kind of speculation and um, just market melt-up issues. 
And you're seeing it with, you know, AI, self-driving cars kind of things. You're seeing it with the cloud, with software stocks. You're even seeing it to some extent with some of the biotechs and some of the innovations that they are legitimately making. We might have seen it with the marijuana stocks in the last year, but those have finally deflated. So you start to get this, this whole like new industry thing that is fueling the bull market. But everybody starts buying into it that you have to own it. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. So you start to go from the bull to the bubble. You're you have people jumping on the bandwagon. Another key thing you have is Buffett being mocked. I'm sure that's in this book quite a bit because I already saw some um uh quotes attributed to him to start the chapters. One of the ones that I like a lot is um to start chapter 13 in this book, and it's Warren Buffett at the 1999 Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, so 21 years ago now. And he said this, the stock market is a no-called strike game. You don't have to swing at everything. You can wait for your pitch. The problem when you're a money manager is that your fans keep yelling, swing you bum, And so that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit more here. Some of the big professional money managers had uh, performed poorly in 2019 who were value investors. Even Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway itself is not performing that well because he's so heavily into the financials, which are not, um, while they have rallied a bit here, but they're not performing as well as the tech names and some of these others. So I'm sure we're going to hear, you know, some similar things to this quote as we go forward, even into this year's Berkshire annual meeting, because Warren Buffett and Berkshire are sitting on a tremendous amount of cash and he is kind of immune to the fans, you know, yelling at him to swing you bum. But the uh, greater world will be yelling, swing you bum. Some shareholders are probably yelling, swing you bum, at the amount of cash he has sitting there. And that is what all money managers get. They start to feel the pressure, even the value investor ones. Oh, I have to buy some growth names. As we've talked about in prior podcasts, Berkshire suddenly last year bought some Amazon stock and nobody's really arguing that that was a value at the time, um, at least as a traditional classic value stock goes. Might have been a value based on its peers or its other growth stocks, um, a growth value stock, so to speak, but it wasn't a traditional, um, you know, low PE, low price to book, price to sales type of company at the time they bought it. Of course, now they're doing quite well in that position, but um, this is when the money managers start to feel the pressure from value, in value, to be in all these growth names. So on today's episode, I really wanted to take a look at what you could get in just the strict value stocks, not in these, uh, you know, very hot blistering hot growth names, because we know that most of those just are not value. And on a side note, I want to re-up what I said um, several times on the podcast in the past. Just because you are a value investor doesn't mean you can't own growth stocks. And I encourage people to have a diverse portfolio of both growth and value, because as one is hot, you are benefiting um, 
you know, you aren't a professional money manager. You're not Warren Buffett and have to only buy value stocks, although he has diverted as we've seen recently. But um, for the most part, you can buy whatever you want. So don't sit there suffering in angst because you're a value investor and growth is where it's at. If you like some of the growth names and want to get in on some of those names, there's nothing wrong with that. I own quite a few growth stocks in my own portfolios. Some I've bought in recent years. Some I only bought last year. A couple of the growth names. Most of the growth stocks I'm not adding to my positions at these levels. I'm just laying it out there. I'm not going in that area right now for myself. But I am adding to my value positions because there um, still is some value out there in certain segments, as we've talked about, agriculture, energy, um, some of the financials, the um, some of the marijuana. You might want to be looking around in some of those areas now. And even in like healthcare and areas that uh, you might think have been overbought maybe might not be. There are some hidden gems out there. So uh, keep a list of your favorite value stocks. If they pull back here, they even better. And remember Benjamin Graham's number one, um, you know, thing that he always fell back on. How much are you willing to pay for those earnings? So really ask how much and some of the growth stocks you might be willing to pay what that PE is here or its peg. Um, but with value, always ask how much. We want to get it as cheap as possible. Um, and so today I did a screen on classic value stocks because we haven't looked at them in a little while because it was getting kind of thin uh, pickings there for the classic values. And classic values, the screen is always very narrow because it includes all of the ratios. So it's p the low PE, the low price to sales ratio, the low price to book um, includes uh, price to cash flow and peg. So once you add in all of those ratios, it's really going to narrow it. And then it also includes the value style score of A or B. So that's the Zach's value style score is thrown in there and the Zach's rank. I, it looks for only Zach's rank number one or number two stocks. So when you combine the rank in there with all of these ratios and the value style score, I knew I wouldn't get very many. When I've run this screen in the past, I think I only got like four or five, six stocks in 2019. This time I got eight, eight results. And normally I only do, you know, three to five stocks on the podcast, but since we, um, you know, we need some good guidance on what the value stocks look like out there right now with the growth, you know, red hot and moving higher. So I'm going to cover all eight today, but not in great detail. I'm just basically going to give you the names, the PEs, um, kind of what they do. And you're going to have to deep dive if you want to know more about what is going on with these companies. Why are they cheap? That's always my first question. Why are they in single digit PEs? And um, why is everybody avoiding them? Some of them, I kind of know why they're cheap but others I did not. So, 
Yeah, you're going to have to deep dive on some of these, but it is an interesting list and they're not all in the same areas. So that was also really intriguing to me. So let's dive right in and see what these eight stocks are. Um, and it's a good way to start off the year with some good value because it does it is out there. And hopefully these have rising earnings estimates with those ones and twos. Now, I do caveat this that we're heading into another earnings season. And so some of these companies may be reporting soon within, you know, a week or two um, or with certainly within the next month or so. So the rank will change and the story can change now that we're in the new year and um, they're reporting earnings again. So keep that in mind. Listen in on the conference calls and find out what's going on with some of these companies, but some value does exist. So let's jump right in. The first stock is Bright House Financial, ticker BHF, and it's trading with a P of 3.8. So if you want cheap, you're getting it. Um, it. They do annuities and life insurance, so it's nothing super exciting. They don't pay a dividend, which is kind of surprising. But um, super cheap, Bright House Financial, if you're looking around for one of those financials on the cheap side, BHF. Second one is also financial, bigger um, and more well-known, Credit Suisse. CS is the ticker there. PE is just 8.9. Dividend, it does have one, 1 1.9%. So that's, that's about average for some of these um, financial services type companies. But... Um, that's the financials have uh, had a decent 2019, but not great. So that's why a lot of them are still cheap. So Credit Suisse makes the list. CS is that ticker again. Hibbit Sports is the next one. Retail and Hibbit has been kind of down on its luck for a while. PE is 10.4. Hib is the ticker HIBB, does not pay a dividend yield. And so you're really going to have to investigate the retailers because each one has its own story. Um, it's all about locations, debt levels, what's happening behind the scenes, management, all of these things. Are they competing online with other retailers against Amazon and Walmart and those ones? And even uh, companies like Dick's Sporting Goods. So Hibbit Sports, H-I-B-B. And then we're switching over to the home builders. MDC Holdings, I've talked about it not too long ago on this show. MDC is the ticker there. It's one of the lesser known ones, but it has a market cap of $2.4 billion. So mid-cap home builder. PE is 9.3 because the home builder stocks, all the PEs are really low right now. This one, though, has all the classic value conditions plus the rank and the value style score. Also pays a dividend, which is quite nice here, 3.1%. That's not too shabby. And home builders, we're slowly getting some of the home builder reports in already. And we just got Lennar. First one out of the gate. We're going to get KB home here shortly too. Lennar, good report from them, easily beat. And, um, you know, those orders are strong because great job market and low mortgage rates. It's a very good combination for these home builders heading into this year and the spring home buying season. So MDC Holdings is that one, MDC. Then we're switching over to another on the insurance side. I have talked about this one too, MetLife. M-E-T is that ticker. P-E is still low. It was low when I talked about it previously, 8.4. And this one also has that nice dividend, 3.4%, but is on the insurance. I know many of you are like, insurance. 
but that's why they're cheap right now because everyone wants to be in the fun tech stacks. They don't want to be in insurance right now. Um, but that's MetLife, M-E-T. Then uh, number six stock is Penn National Gaming. I don't think I've talked about this one. P-E-N-N is the ticker. They have 39 gaming and racing facilities. So if you're into the gambling and the gaming and the racing, you probably already know about Penn. P-E is just 12.3 here, but no dividend. Um, and then they also have all of the other low uh, ratios of the classic value stacks. So you might want to check this one out if you're interested in like the experience type companies, Penn National Gaming, P-E-N-N. Then another retailer, Signet Jewelers. S-I-G is the ticker there. Yes, I know many of the jewelry chains are having issues and Tiffany's now being bought out, but it's pretty cheap. P-E is 5.7 here. Dividend yield, and I'm not sure if this is holding or if they're cutting it. We have 7.8, as does Yahoo Finance. So uh, you'd have to double check on that. So don't quote me, quote me on that dividend yield because I always get a little suspicious when they're very high, which this one is, and their retailer, some of the retailers have been cutting dividends. Um, so that Signet Jewelers, S-I-G is that ticker. And then rounding out number eight stock is Telefonica, T-E-F, their Spanish telecom. P-E is just 9.1. And because they're tele, uh, telecom, which historically has paid big dividends. This one does 6.3% on that dividend yield. Uh, but if you're looking for a little foreign company, then Telefonica might be one you might want to keep on your list and tune in on. So that's the eight classic value stocks that exist right now. That's it. Um, but it's a very narrow screen, as I said, because it's got the rank one strong buy and the two, which are buy. And hopefully that means rising earnings estimates or something something good is going on with the earnings. Also has the value style score thrown in there, which is also going to narrow it down considerably. And then we had all of those classic value ratios that it has to qualify for. And so when push comes to shove, only eight stocks out of you know, it's close to 800 are in just the Zach's rank one and twos alone. So only eight qualify for this screen. And let me recap them again so that you know um, what they are. Bright House Financial, BHF, Credit Suisse, CS, Hibbit Sports, HIBB, MDC Holdings, MDC, MetLife, MET, uh, Penn National Gaming, you can hear, hear me changing my sheets here, P-E-N-N, Signet Jewelers, S-I-G, and Telefonica, T-E-F. And as I said, don't get depressed here that the growth stocks are taking off. That's a bullish thing, of course, to have the stock market rallying. That's what we want to have happen because eventually the value stocks will follow suit. And last year wasn't awful for value. We still made money, just not as much as in growth. When will the growth stocks cool off? I don't know. 
But I'm going to be consulting Bull, A History of the Boom, 1982 to 1999, on coming episodes to get more advice on what I should be doing as an investor because um, a lot is going on here in 2020 and we're going to need to be on our toes here as value investors in this hot market. So you don't want to miss a single episode. I'm going to be covering more on Benjamin Graham as well during this year because we're going to continue looking at his tips in The Intelligent Investor. And I have another book that I bought recently on value investing that I'm going to check out too. Hopefully get some tips out of that one. And then who knows what else may uh, come upon us here in 2020. But as I said, there's a lot going on. So subscribe. We are on Spotify, the Value Investor Podcast on Spotify. We're also on Apple Podcasts and we're on SoundCloud with the Market Edge, but be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more value stacks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.